Welcome to That's Anita Live, the talk show dedicated to providing emotional healing through sharing to help you create a happier life. My guest today is a forgiveness expert. Her mission is to release warrior women so they can reveal their confidence by regaining their authority. At the early age of 10, Kiana Brown experienced depression, which led to obesity, drug abuse, and four years in prison. Today, she uses her past experiences of hurt and trauma to inspire others and help them heal. Welcome, Kiana Brown, to the show. Thank you for having me. It's Girl, a to be here. What a story. Yes, I lived it, and now I'm on the other side of it, and I use my past hurts to help others heal. Now, 10 yes. is a very young age. Yes. How were you diagnosed with depression at 10? So it wasn't necessarily a diagnosis. The doctor said I was dealing with depression symptoms. Okay. And so in that, as I look at it now that I'm older, mm -hmm. no, honey child, you were dealing with depression <laughs> because I was, I did, I had all the behaviors, all the symptoms. Okay. Um, I don't know why is it that they didn't say, you know, full blown out, you know, she has depression, whatever the case may be. What are some of the symptoms that come to mind? So um, depressed, for me, being in depressed state is uh, separating myself from other people. Okay. Uh, eating. Eating was my biggest one. Eating for uh, companionship. Okay. Because there was no one around. Uh, my brother, everything, they were just not there. Mm -hmm. um, I also had thoughts of hurting myself. Okay. Um, but, and, and, and there, there was a long period of my life where I felt that I didn't want to live. I didn't like mm -hmm. what I looked in the, when I looked in the mirror, mm -hmm. who I saw. Mm -hmm. The person was not someone that I was impressed with. And it really, really dug deep in me. And I, at that point, I already didn't like how I looked. Mm -hmm. And I can remember in the sixth grade, I went into the coat room and there was a boy named Anthony. I will never forget it. He said to me, you know, you would be beautiful if you weren't so fat. Now in the sixth grade, this is something that was said to me. And so now I already had that feeling myself and I see that the world viewed me as that. So it, for me, it just got worse and worse and worse. So I just continued to eat and eat and eat. And the sixth grade, I was about 120 pounds. I should have not been, you know, that amount of weight. And that's what I did for comfort. But why was food your friend? It always made me feel good. Where was your mom and dad? My mom, was not in the picture for the most part. Um, okay. At that particular point, she had come home from prison. And so she was trying to get herself together. So I see her sometimes on okay. the weekend. Mm -hmm. And my dad, he wasn't, he was in and out, in and out. And um, the relationship was not as strong as it, it should have been. I wanted okay. more from them. Mm -hmm. um, but today I am, you know, proud to say that the relationship that I have with my mother, she's been clean for, I forget now. Because it's been so it's long, been so right? Long, yeah. But I thank God for yeah. that. And unfortunately, my father, um, he's still with us. And I think I'm thankful for where he is. He's in prison. Unfortunately, he has life. But his life sentence has allowed me to have life with him. Okay. Um, because at the at the point that he was going, the rate he was mm -hmm. going, at any day it could have been the end for yeah. him. But he's, he's stabilized he's, now. He's stabilized you, you know now. Where to find him. I know where he is. <laughs> He calls me, and, uh -huh. and you know, it's it's uh, uh, technology is amazing. They have yeah. an app where we can communicate with one another mm -hmm. through email. So no longer do I have to sit and write a long, drawn-out yeah. letter. Yeah. Uh, we just had a celebration for my grandmother's 90th birthday, so I can Whoa. just pop some pictures in the app yeah. and you know send them to him. Okay. So um, I, you know, I, I look at my life from what it was and to where it is now. So you were raised by primarily by primarily, your grandmother and your grandfather. Yes, mm -hmm. and. 
when they noticed uh, that you were using food for your friend, what were some of the things that they attempted to do to fill that void for you? So they took me to Children's Hospital because it was a big, big concern that I was not what they deemed to be normal okay. because all of my peers were smaller and they just didn't understand why I was getting uh, so overweight. And, well, I know why because I had this meal, that meal, and then it was another meal. So I was just constantly eating all the time. Mm -hmm. But at the Children's Hospital, they had a program for children who dealt with obesity. And we do workouts and things of that nature. And they just, they really tried everything. Mm -hmm. Grandma really tried so much to the fact that when she thought she was rewarding me, she was giving me <laughs> McDonald's fish sandwich. But, you know, it's okay. We understand that fish right. is healthy. Mm -hmm. For her, she didn't think about the, mm -hmm. the bread, the tartar sauce, the, the grease, and any of that. But other than that, she really tried. They really, really tried their Wait, best. I mean, you had just worked out. Yes. So. Yeah, I, okay. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm on grandma's right side. Now. That's wrong with, you know, hey. Yes, yes, She yes. was in there. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. Ten years old, childhood obesity. Mm-hmm which led to drug abuse. Yes. How did you first get introduced to drugs? So I was at um, Calvin Coolidge Senior High School in Washington, D.C., and I made a connection with some friends through the marching band. I, I was always the type of person who didn't uh, stay in cliques or things like that, okay. and so I was pretty much the loner. But in the marching band, it was a different world because it was like everyone connected the music. I just love the environment of being around music. And some of the friends in the band um, got together and they started uh, stealing cars and things like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it, but I was there for the joyride. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got introduced to it, by hanging around a certain crowd. Okay. Um, at that point in time, I didn't feel that it was wrong. I was just having fun. I was living. I was doing what I deemed most teenagers did at that point in their life. And it was the opening for me. It was the beginning to the portal of a down spiral for me because I didn't really pay attention to it, but I come from a line of people who have dealt with addiction. And so it was not just um, experimental for me. Mm -hmm. It was something that became my norm. And I went from marijuana to using um, alcohol, ecstasy pills. Uh, I've tried um, boat, as they call it. Uh, I've tried just about pretty much every drug that you can think of okay, or imagine. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> what is what is boat? Boat is it's like LSD. Okay. Um, or what in DC they call it like the dipper. You take the cigarette and dip it in the abominable food. I've done. <laughs> Girl, I've done some stuff. I've been around the world and back. Um, but for me, some of those things didn't agree with me. Okay. But my constant was marijuana. That was my everything. Your relief. Yes. That, that's what calmed me down. Mm -hmm. That's what allowed for me to open up. Because at some points in my life, I wouldn't open up. I was always that person that kept everything in. I internalized stuff. So that was like my gateway to freedom, okay. so to speak. Um, and so that kind of held me down for quite some time and just traveling around different groups and doing that I um, ended up wanting to have a relationship like some of my peers did and that was not my story because the boys weren't interested in me and I believed that it was because of what I looked like I felt that I was trapped in this bodysuit that nobody was attracted to or nobody wanted mm -hmm. but there was one particular person that did and it ended up being a female 
And okay. so I entered into that lifestyle. And mm -hmm. boy, somebody who wanted attention, did she ever get attention then? So that kind of down spiral for me again, mm -hmm. um, just going from one relationship to the next, still, you know, keeping everything intact, but just having different emotional relationships. Now, while you were going through this um, very busy mm -hmm. period in your life. Yes. Was there anybody, um, an elder, somebody in the community, one of your teachers, that tried to reach out to you to say, hey, that's not your lifestyle? No. Okay. No, I did have uh, my grandmother. Yeah. Uh, you know, not even to say that's not your lifestyle, but that's not of the Lord. You know, yeah. I, I got all of that, yeah. but, you know, this is what I wanted, you know, and I've been that person. I'm putting my foot down. Like, if this is what Kiana wants to do, it, it, it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Because yeah, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the drugs and the risque behavior no, as far as being with the crowd the that was stealing cars person. and. So I was the type of person okay. that you see this face, you never know what was behind it. I'm a good hider. I'm a great hider. I knew how to hide everything. Okay. Um, it, and it wasn't until I was out of uh, high school that I started to like really break loose. But all through my high school years, because mm -hmm. mm -mm. I wasn't like if I did it when I was at school, I would say, "Oh, I'm staying after with band." And by the time I got home, everything was gone. So there was no, you know, yeah. signs of it or anything like okay. that because I already knew. I knew that I wasn't supposed to be doing it, but it was something that made me feel better. So how did the obesity and the drug abuse land you with four years? So it, it's, everything just was like a stepping, a stepping portal for me. I went from feeling the way that I felt from being obese and using the, the drugs to make me feel better. And then I wanted to have relationships and I went with the women. And so that is what landed me in prison for four years. It was a relationship with someone when I was, I was about 19 years old uh, when I got arrested, no, we, I was 20 when I got arrested, but I was 19, 18 when I started dating okay. her. Uh, she was pretty much about my mom's age. My mom always said, why are you dating someone that age? And at that particular point, it really didn't matter to me because she was doing everything that I wanted a mate to do. Mm -hmm. She was paying for, for this. She was making sure that I had food. She was providing me with the drugs that I wanted. She mm -hmm. was doing everything. And there was an incident where she and I had gotten into an altercation. Okay. And that's when I realized that I was in a domestic violence relationship. It was a lot of verbal abuse. Okay. Um, she tried to control me with money. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't see it then, but later on, after. I saw it. Um, yeah, we know I, you, you never see the tornado spinning while you're in it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I left and I don't know, well I do know why I went back. I went back because I was missing what I thought was the idea of love. The comforts. Yes. Yeah. And so I went back and that was, I, I just should have never gone back. And that was so what were you So what were you actually booked and charged with? So she was at a position when I did go back mm -hmm. that she had lost her job. And so she was used to being the one that provided. And she knew of a scheme that she could do to rob a fast food place that she knew the manager of. And they were going to work it out. It was going to happen. It was pretty much supposed to be staged. Um, but it ended up not going the way that she planned for it to go. And so I ended up with an armed robbery charge. I was just supposed to be the getaway driver. But because I was there, and, um, and I will admit that I did take some part because you know, at some point things started to get a little scary for me. And so I was like, okay, so this can't happen. But it happened and- But you were 19. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was 19 when right. it happened. Right, yeah. so looking back now, 
what are some of the red flags that you would tell a viewer mm -hmm. to look out for to say if this is your surroundings or if this is a situation that you're sitting in, be weary? Well, the first thing is being alienated from your friends, okay. being alienated from your family, being not being able to be in your comfort zone. I was always put into a position to where she wanted me to be with her friends. She wanted me to be with her family. She never wanted to go anywhere with me. And so all of a sudden, I no longer saw those people anymore. And okay. so she became my main focus. It was uh, get up, say hi, whatever, mm -hmm. go to work, and then it was directly back home. And if I wasn't directly back home, there was a phone call to the extent where I stopped going other places because I knew that phone call was coming. Mm -hmm. um, and But at that point, it was just like, oh, she loves me. You know, she, she misses me. Yeah, she okay. wants me to be there. Mm -hmm. So just um, look out for being alienated. And then another trigger sign for me was okay. that she was constantly spending her money. And at the point where I felt like I was being spoiled to the point where she didn't sometimes want me to go to work because she wanted to take care of me. Okay. But now when I look at that, it's like, okay, she wanted to have control over everything that I did. I didn't need to go to do anything. I didn't need to provide for myself because she would be that person. So that's another symptom of, for me, of domestic violence when they want to control you financially where if I didn't go to work, then I wouldn't have a paycheck. So guess what I couldn't do? Mm -hmm. I couldn't leave. Right. Because if I can't leave and support myself, where am I going? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to need to stay here. So when somebody makes you financially dependent upon them, mm -hmm. that's another sign to look out for. Uh, and then just signs of anger. Okay. Just anger. For no reason, anger. You can have a conversation or say something that's mild. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay. Oh, okay, I just asked you this one question, uh, and we never know how things can escalate. Yeah. So it started off with anger in that way, and then it ended up in anger with her hands around my neck. We'll be right back to dig into more detail of Kiana Brown's story, but also how you can use forgiveness to help yourself heal. What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if, with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true, authentic self? It is possible, and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy, shares how to resolve emotional baggage and feel free to live true to your own personality spirit and character transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook and we're back with Kiana going through her emotional roller coaster story of living life in a major metropolitan area because what she went through is not a loner story. It's not a one of a kind story. But we are here today to make sure that as the viewers watch and as you are here, you learn and we can all do better. Because when you learn better, you do better. Yes. Now, you mentioned earlier that forgiveness is not a switch that you flip 
and then walk away from. Mm -hmm. But it's something that has to be managed on a regular basis. Yes. How did you get to a place of forgiveness for everything that you've been through? That place was actually behind bars. When I was in the cell looking at the 15 to 30 years that I was supposed to be sentenced with, I was upset and I was angry with God because I did everything that my grandmother told me to do. If I prayed to God, then he would answer me. If I got on my knees, if I cried out to him, mm -hmm. that he would make everything all right. And in that moment of being angry with mm -hmm. him, mm -hmm. there was a, a quiet voice in my ear because I was upset. I was just screaming like, you left me, you left me. And that voice said, I didn't leave you, you left me. And so you have a lot of reflection time, especially in prison where there's nowhere to go. And so I just started to really think about it because when I heard you left me, I'm trying to figure out what do you mean that I left you? And I had left from serving the life that he wanted me to serve, yeah. going in, going the opposite direction. And so I had started to look at everything. For an example, being in the alternative lifestyle was a choice that I made because I really didn't like men and it was because of my dad. Not because they weren't interested mm -hmm. in me. It was because I didn't have that relationship that I wanted with my father. And then I looked at, okay, well, I blamed my father for this. And then I blamed my father for that. Mm -hmm. And I blamed him for all of these other things. People have actions, but how we react is what matters. Yes. And so if I continue to react to his actions, then I'm no better than he is. I'm no better than the next person. Okay. And so what I had to do is realize that I had to let that go so that I could move on. I had to understand that they were not uh, actions because of what he did. Yes, people do things all the time. Somebody might hit your car. That doesn't mean you haul off and hit them when they get out the car. Right. No, you understand that it's an accident. And I believe truly in my heart that it was not my father's plan to be distant or separate out of my life, but life happens and I had to realize that from every action that he outplayed mm -hmm. that I had to make my own reaction and it could not be uh, one to get back at him and so from learning that I had to first forgive myself okay. because I was the one who chose to do the things that I did. Now, I chose to pick up the drugs. I chose to be in Was the there any particular technique or activity that you did that helped you get to a place of forgiveness? Mm -hmm. So when I look back at it now and, and the tools that I use to help other women and men, mm -hmm. it's first you gotta reveal it. And that's what I did when, it, when I was in that cell. I was thinking about everything that I had gone through. And then you have to get to a stage where you have to release it. And my releasing was, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being upset with you. I'm sorry for the decisions that I made. Mm -hmm. So it's an omittance. You have to omit it in order for you to release it. Mm -hmm. And then I had to regain my confidence because how many of us have been in any type of relationship or situationship, I like to call it sometime, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that you feel that you're lack in that area and that you can't go on. If you've been in a relationship where somebody's broken your heart, now you're afraid to actually love again. So you have to regain confidence all over again in okay. that area to know that, hey, I am worthy of being loved and there is that person that's out there for me. So it's revealing, releasing and regaining your confidence. How do you help people do that? So we go through a series of steps and I talk to people and they want to tell me everything that's happening today. And when I listen to them, I'm like, okay, so we need to go back 
there. Okay. Because that's typically where everything begins. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a person that I was talking to dealing with her. She was in a domestic violence relationship and, and I'm straight, straightforward. I told her, you know, you come to me because you want help and I want to be that person for okay. you. But there are some things that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to make the decision, the conscious decision. And that's what forgiveness is, is actually making a decision, deciding today that you will no longer be in that stuck place. And so I told her, I said, within your relationship, there are several things that can happen. You can continue to be in this relationship and be abused. Mm -hmm. You can either be so upset that something happens and that you abuse them. Then you can be in a situation where you're going to jail because of it. Mm -hmm. Then you can be in a situation where you die. Which person, oh, and I forget the other situation. It can be the one that you walk away and you're moving on towards new life. Okay. What person do you want to play in this role? She said she wasn't ready. And so, this, like I said, going back to it, it's a decision. So the first thing that we have to do in any place, in any measure of this, is to decide. Because I can talk to you all day long about what happened back then, what's happening right now. But if you have not made the conscious decision mm -hmm. to say, mm -hmm. I'm moving forward, there's nowhere we can go. So that's the number one thing, the tool that I give somebody is to make that conscious decision. You have to be ready. You have to be yeah. ready. Get yourself. And, and I go back to looking at everything that happened to me. I was mentally incarcerated before I had even met the bars. Okay, hold on. Break that down and tell us what that means. Mentally incarcerated is the place that you put yourself in, the mindset that you put yourself in, the lack mindset. I'm not worthy. I am, I'm not beautiful, you okay. know, when I look in the mirror. Oh, I don't like the way my body looks. You put yourself in that place. Why not say, oh, well, I am beautiful. Oh, I'm going to change the way that my body looks. That's changing your mindset, giving you a new spirit, a new life. It's like uh, putting, on it, putting on an anointing on your face, okay. right? I, I go back to church because I am faith-based. When you go to church, you don't walk into church sometimes with the anointing on. Mm -hmm. No, but once you get into it, you start walking in it. Because if we did, we wouldn't need 30 to 45 minutes of praise and worship when we got in there, would we? <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> but so you have to get into that place, right? You have to walk into that area. Mm -hmm. And then as long as you continually, continuously do it, then an anointing will come. Okay, so now let's get into Blessed Hands. Yes. Your latest book. Yes. Well, yeah, it's the latest. <laughs> Cause I know that I just came out with one. It's a mental health book called "It's Not That Easy." Stop telling me to get over it. That's a book collaboration that launched last month. Okay. Mm -hmm. A pathway to forgiveness. Yes. Blessed hands. Tell us what is what is this book about? So that book is merely six situations in my life that I have had to overcome and forgive myself in, mm -hmm. and one of those stories which stood out, which is standing out strong to me today, mm -hmm. is called Heaven's Angel. Okay. And that is a story of about an abortion that I had. And why it's standing out to me today is because on my travel here, it was literally the same direction. Like when I got to the area, the vicinity of where we are now, mm -hmm. I'm like, I remember this street. Mm. I remember the street and it was taking me back to that place. You see on the television where people, and this is something that I'm still working through. Mm -hmm. 
you see on the television where people have the, the signs saying, you know, don't kill the baby, you're going to hell, this, this, that, and the third. And so in that story, I share how I had made the conscious decision to abort a child. And within that, it was not just because I didn't want it. I had just gone through a C-section. I didn't wait <laughs> with me and my husband. We didn't wait. And you know, then it ended up happening. We got pregnant. And so I was faced with challenges of not having a healthy child or me not you know, being right, healthy because right. everything wasn't healed properly yet. And so I, and I had dealt with um, postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And so I was already in this place. And I, I really didn't want to be a mother. I love my son, but I didn't want to be a mother. And to hear that I'm going to have to do this all over again, and the way that the surgery and everything, mm -hmm. I was just like, God, I can't do this again. Mm -hmm. And so I made that decision. And when I did, I went in. And I wasn't far along, so I was able to take a pill. And they said that I would have to come back. And I was really upset about having to come back to deal with this all over again. Okay. It took yes. me a lot just to get there that point, at that point in time. And so I had to come back. And when I came back, they told me that the baby was still there. I could still carry it to term, but it would be deformed because partial of her brain was gone. And I say her because I know it was a her. Mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody tells me. I knew my son was a son, and I know that she was a she. Okay. And so it just brought back memories of that. And I'm still working with forgiving myself. And the book is the first time that I've shared it. Um, that book came out actually January 2019. Mm -hmm. And so I had, I had to release it. I'm continuing to release it. But the biggest part of me is that I aborted somebody's destiny. And so I think that's the part that hurts so much. But, okay. Because <laughs> that can take me to a whole nother place. Okay. What advice would you give somebody that's going through that? I'm a crybaby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that's going through having an abortion? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a challenge every day. And I know what I've done mostly was try to not think about it. Okay. But to get into a space and write, you know, sometimes I write to her because I know today she's my angel. And so look at it from that perspective, like that child may not be here with you, mm -hmm. but you know where that child is and that child is watching out for you. Um, so to just get in the space to talk about it and to not internalize it, not compartmentalize it and, and put it somewhere in a shelf or put it up there where it's out of your reach, you need to okay. deal with it. And the reason that I am still shedding tears is because I did that. I put it away. And so my coming out was in the book, which was literally, like I said, maybe like three months ago, four months ago today. And so I had to do that in order to get to a space where I could forgive me. I could forgive me for the choice, for the decision that I made. Mm -hmm. I always push making a decision, but sometimes the decisions that we make are not necessarily ones that we can live with. Mm -hmm. And so when making a decision, make sure that you pray about it first. The one thing that I did not do with this, and like I said before, I prayed about prison. I prayed about a lot of things in the past, but I didn't ask God about that because I went with self. What happened to the faith that said that he would provide, that he would make everything work, that he would be the healer, that he would help you? Mm -hmm. And I didn't even go to him for that. I made that decision on my own. And so I think that's another reason that I beat myself up so much about it. But that's just where I'm at with it. But you just have to make peace with yourself. Make peace with yourself and make peace with God. 
Make peace with yourself and make peace with your creator. Forgiveness is a healing emotion. It secures you from the inside out and is never about the other person. No matter what someone did to you or what happened to you, it's up to you to make the decision to heal for yourself. Find Kiana on Instagram at The Forgiveness Expert. I'm Anita, your host. Be sure to check out ThatAnitaLive.com for where and when to see our next episode. Thank <laughs> you.